And just a reminder, if you wouldn't mind grabbing the, um, oh, what is it? The connection book <laughs> on the end of your row um, and just go ahead and sign that you were here and pass that along down. Thank you. All right. Good morning, Reach Church. All right, so it looks like kids are heading to Reach Kids. They know what to do. You can head out now. And all right, let's, let's jump right into it. So, so last week, last week was a, diff, a difficult passage. It was a difficult passage. We talked about the election of God. We talked about how God elects those who are vessels of mercy and those who are vessels of wrath. That from the clay, he forms each one of us. And that the difference between those who are saved and those who, who do not come to faith is that electing power of God. It's his sovereign choice. It is his will. All right, so that's where we left off last week. But, and, you know, and it seems like at that point, what else do you have to say? What else do you have to say if once you say that, that God has chosen those who are his from eternity and he has passed over others? And we would expect that, that at the end of chapter 9, we would go to a totally different topic. We would, we would kind of leave that behind, everything has been said. But that's actually not the case. So last week, we, we talked about how God, God 100% sovereignly chooses those who are his. That is 100% true, but that also is not the whole story. That is not the only part of, of the electing power of God. That is not the whole story of salvation. And that's where today, today we're going to see the other side of that. We're going to see that, that yes, God sovereignly chooses 100%, but we are also 100% responsible for our choice to go to Christ, to choose him, to cry out to him. And so today, today Paul's asking us to, to think about the implications of election. And the problem is we do goofy things with election. We go places we should never go. We, we create uh, kind of really terrible and unbiblical uh, principles out of it. And so we want to make sure we, we don't go there. Instead, we stay with Scripture and, and follow Scripture to say what the actual result of this election is and, and how we should speak to unbelievers, how we should think about our own hearts, the responsibility of humanity. So today we're going to be looking at, at three things that Paul wants to teach us. He wants to teach us first, first, where do we go for the righteousness of God? Where do we go for it? Where do we actually find the righteousness that, that election gives us? And second, once we're looking for the righteousness of God in Christ, how do we get it? What are you actually called to do? And third, what's your responsibility if you have that righteousness? If you've found the righteousness of Christ, what are you supposed to do with it? And I hope that we're going to summarize this way, that election does not take away our responsibility to call out to God or to call others to God. That election does not ruin our responsibility to cry out to Jesus Christ for salvation and to tell others to cry out to Jesus Christ for salvation. All right? So let's, let's look at Romans 9, verses 30 through all of chapter 10. We're looking at a lot of, a lot of scripture today. Uh, so we're looking, starting at Romans 9, verse 30. And read with me. What shall we say then? 
What shall we say then? The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone as it is written. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend to heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend to the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. With the mouth one confesses and is saved. For scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses said, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. All right, pray with me. Father, we, we praise you. We thank you for Christ. We thank you that in his name we are saved. And Father, we thank you for the doctrine of election. And Father, we ask that we would do with it what is right in your eyes. And we ask that, Father, you would save the people, that you would save the unbeliever, that you would save sinners like us in the name of Jesus. And we ask that you would help us to, to see Jesus in all his glory, even today. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right. So, we've established the principle of election that God chooses those who are saved. And now Paul is asking, okay, what do we say then? 
Verse 30. What shall we say then? What are the implications of election on the lives of, of you and me, on the lives of unbelievers? What do we say? And he goes on to say, say this. The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is a righteousness that is by faith. But the Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. All right. If I was looking and, and just, okay, I saw election, God chooses everyone. This would not be my natural implication to be, okay. I would probably say, you know, well, Israel failed to come to faith because God didn't choose them. And the Gentiles didn't come to faith, or came to faith, they came to this righteousness because they are chosen by God. But oddly enough, that is not what Paul is saying here. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that in the midst of that calling, that Israel and the Gentiles, that every single person is pursuing a righteousness. They are pursuing a righteousness with their own will. They're not just kind of sitting there waiting to receive a calling, but they're actively pursuing righteousness in one way or another. That we are responsible even for the way that we seek the righteousness of God. And then we have two ways to do it. There are two ways to seek this righteousness, to be good enough in, in God's eyes. We can seek it through obedience to the law by works, or we can seek it by faith in Christ. That those are two real decisions that you have before you today. And that you, we lay, behold, in front of every single believer. You can work, or you can receive it by faith. And that's a, that's a real choice that every single one of us has. Now, for Israel, at this time, they have stumbled over Christ by running after works. Look at verse 32. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the Israelites at this time, they are so busy running after perfection according to the law. They were working so hard, running after God hard through works that they missed the, the salvation stone before him. And instead of laying down at his feet and, and receiving the salvation that he offered, they tripped over him. They didn't even see him coming and they ran right by and stumbled. Verse 10. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. All right, what is this saying? This is saying that the Israelites, they were, and every, everyone, is active in their salvation. They are active in their salvation. They have a plan. And they are pursuing it. And, and some people are actually pursuing that righteousness with the utmost zeal. With, with total dedication. They are running and they are running. 
But the problem is, it's not about zeal. It's not about how hard you try. It's not about how desperately you want to please God or how desperately you want righteousness. It's about where you're looking for it. Where you are looking for it. Now the Israelites, they're looking for it in performance, in works. Now that might seem kind of like a, a solely religious way of trying to prove yourself. That sounds very religiously, to, to pursue righteousness according to the law. Now, I want to I kind of broaden that a little bit so I think more of us can identify with it. Uh, righteousness. Righteousness. There's another word in English that is related to righteousness. It's actually the same word in the Greek, one word, but we, we kind of separate it into two concepts in English. There's righteousness and there's justification. Those are the exact same thing. They're just different words for it. And so when we say righteousness, it sounds really religious-y. And we're thinking like people in temples trying to be good enough according to the law. But we can, we can say it another way. We can just say to pursue righteousness is to try to justify yourself. To try to justify yourself. And I think when we say it that way, we see that that is everyone. That by works, we just try to justify our existence. We try to prove that we are good enough, that we are acceptable, that we adhere to this standard that's put before us and that we're doing okay. Now, for some, that looks like pursuing righteousness according to the law. That's what it looked like to Israel, that they, they were trying to use the law to please this heavenly judge. But we can do that in a, in a very worldly way, that we can use the law of the world to try to please the world and the earthly judges. But we are just as self-righteous they're using works. And we're trying to adhere to this standard out here in the world to be good enough, to be attractive enough, to be successful enough, to be good enough parents, to be good enough spouses. And we are pursuing righteousness by works. And the thing is, if the more we, we can run zealously after that, we can do it with all of our energy and with passion what Paul is saying is, if you do that, you are going to stumble over the true righteousness that is found in Christ. And, and you won't then get to go say, well, God, why didn't, why didn't you elect me? Why didn't you show me? No, he's going to say, you were running after righteousness. You were pursuing this desperately. You did not put your faith in Christ. And so, as much as we can say about election, we have to say that on the opposite side of it, we are 100% responsible for how we pursue righteousness, where we pursue righteousness. That we will not get to point the finger at God. So, the, the question is, the question is, how are you seeking to justify yourself? And we can talk about this in kind of a life scale. How are you trying to be good enough before, before the world and before God? What is your, your kind of life plan? Where are you pursuing your righteousness? Where are you pursuing your justification? But then on a, on a daily basis, where are you finding your worth? What are you running hard after? What are you zealous for day after day? 
hour by hour. And we start to see that we are submitting to a lot of laws, the laws of the world, the laws of people. They are not receiving our value and our worth from Christ alone. And I'm going to say that we are 100% responsible for that. There's no way around it. All right, so how do, we, how do we then pursue the righteousness of Christ? We see that, if, in, if you see this, you, if you've run after the laws of the world, you've seen that it is impossible. I hope, I hope that the more you run, the further you get away from the goal because you will never stack up, you will never be good enough according to whatever law you're trying to submit to. And this whole series has been about how desperately you need Christ. But the question is, like, what do you do to get that righteousness of Christ? Because I'm afraid that, that our method for getting Christ is sometimes even more complicated than the law. And is more brutal and oppressive than the law even is. So what does it actually take to get that righteousness of Christ? I'm going to say very, very simply, this passage says, call on the name of Jesus. Call on the name of Jesus. Verse 5. Now verse 5 is, is the opposite. If you don't try to call on the name of Jesus, for Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. All right, so this is the righteousness by work strategy. And he simply says, the person who does the commandments will live by them. All right, what, what does that mean? That means that if, if you want to live... You've got to do the commandments. It's as simple as that. You've got to do them perfectly. You've got to do them every second of every day until you die. That's, that's the, the only strategy of works. And we don't just get to say the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are, are easy in God's eyes. That's why when Jesus comes, he, he, he ups the ante. And he says things like, you should, you should love others as much as you love yourself. That when someone, someone needs something, you should provide for that need as if it were yourself. That if they, if they have a, a desire, you should meet, the, meet that desire with as much to kind of force and power as you meet your own desires. Or he says, you should, you should love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength that God should come first every time, every second, every moment. And if there's ever anything that is put before God, you're done. That's the law. That's the law according to Christ. All right, I hope that none of you are trying that strategy because you've already failed. You failed a long time ago. I have failed within this, this sermon probably to do that. We cannot do it. We cannot do it. And so, and so we're left. We desperately need for righteousness that is outside of ourselves, that we don't build ourselves. And that's where Paul is trying to get us to go. So instead, instead we have a righteousness by faith. Verse 6. But the righteousness based on faith says... Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. 
So righteousness by faith, it's looking, at, it's looking at the work of Christ and trusting that his work is enough. And this is kind of a, this kind of a tongue in, tongue-in-cheek way of saying this. All right. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven that is to bring Christ down? All right, this is the person who is saying, I'm going to keep working because, you know, when Christ came down to humble himself, to put on his humanity and die on the cross and humble himself, you know, maybe he needs a little help in that. And maybe I need to go up to heaven and help him put on humanity and help him get down here and help him die on the cross. That, that you know, I, you know I, I need to help him with that. All right, that's really stupid. And that's what he's trying to say. Don't say in your heart that you need to do that. Because it's stupid. That Jesus already did it. He didn't need your help then. He doesn't need your help now. He never needed your help to die for your sins. And in the same way, don't say in your heart who will descend into the abyss that is to bring Christ up from the dead. When he rose from the dead, he didn't need you to go down there and say, hey Jesus, it's time to wake up now. How about, how about you, you raise from the dead? I'll help you. Like here, take, take an arm, Jesus. No, that's stupid. That that's the, the work of Christ in his death and resurrection, Jesus did and he didn't need our help and he doesn't need our help now. And that's what our works are trying to do. Every time we try to work for salvation, every time we try to be good enough in God's eyes, we think that Jesus coming down and dying on this cross and raising from the dead, that it wasn't enough. That he needed our help. That it wasn't sufficient. And so Paul is saying, don't say that in your heart. You don't need to do these great feats of righteousness, these great works. That Jesus has already done it. Instead, instead he says, verse 8, what does it really say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved. Now this is the great weirdness of Christianity is that it is that simple. You believe Jesus is Lord you confess that he rose from the dead, that he died for your sins and, and rose to life for you, and you're done. And you're done. That's all you need to do. And the, the question is then, all right, but what about election? What about election? What if I call out to Jesus and, and I'm not elect? What if he didn't choose me from all eternity? What if I'm not really a child? All right, what Paul is saying here is, you don't have to worry about that. And that's not how you know if you're elect or not. You don't, you don't have to kind of pray that, God, God, please elect me. You don't have to, to go through a series of tests to, to test if God has elected you or not. You don't need to worry about other people being elect. That what, what, what are you responsible for? You are responsible for crying out to Jesus and saying, Jesus, save me. I believe in you. Save me from my sin. And if you can do that, you are elect. 
You are like, that's the proof of it. And that's as much as your responsibility goes in this matter. That God elects 100%, but you are responsible 100% for crying out to God. And what happens when you do, verse 10, for with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That it really is that simple. And I feel like we spent so much time as believers testing if our faith is real, uh, putting each other through trials and, and doubting and wondering when we are responsible for just calling out to Jesus, Jesus, be my savior. You've done the work. I want to receive it. And that's it. That really is it. And the rest of the Christian life is believing that and cutting out all of the goofy habits that we have, all of the ways that we keep trying to work. It is that simple. It is that simple. But, but, caveat. That has to happen. All right, so we talked about election, and that God, God chooses from all eternity who will be saved, who will be elect, who will be with him for eternity. It always has to happen with this. You always have to have the confession part. You always have to have the, the confession of the, the name of Christ. That is mandatory. And we, I feel like we can we feel like, like oh, well, well if, they're, if they're elect, they'll come to faith, they'll be saved. Not without this. No one is elect except through confessing the name of Christ. And that's where, all right, that's where your, your roommates in college get mad at you. Because um, if, if everyone sees that, they see the implications of that. And they see, well, there are people who don't know Jesus. There are people who don't understand his work. There are people who haven't heard his name. What do we do with that? What do we do with the fact that it's only by Jesus that you are saved? And there are people out there who, who don't know Jesus. And what, what believers often do, what we often do, is we say, well, oh, well, may, maybe there's a way that we can get around this needing Jesus thing. Maybe there's a way of circumventing that, that rule that maybe people can come to faith without Christ. Without the name, they can kind of just have a vague understanding. Unfortunately, Paul does not take us there. And Paul says that if people really do need to call on the name of Jesus, then you, who know Jesus, need to go tell them about him. That you need to go call people to faith in Christ, to confess his name. And that's, that's probably the, the goofiest thing that we do with election, is that we say, well, then I don't need to tell anyone. Then why go tell them? They'll, they'll be saved anyway. God in his plan has chosen us, the vessels of mercy, to go pour mercy out on those who don't know Christ. That is his plan. That's how election works. All right. Uh, we see some 
let's see the logic here. In, in case this isn't crystal clear already. Verse 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him who they have not heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Now, we really do believe that it's nothing but Jesus that saves. That it's nothing but Jesus. It's nothing but the name of Christ. That, that his name is powerful. That he alone is the Savior. And people can't put their faith in Christ if they don't know who he is. That's just as simple as it is. And so, what does that mean for us? That means that, yeah, God, God elects, but he chose, according to, to his plan, that those jars of mercy, those stupid little, little vessels from the clay, that of all means of, of salvation, he, he's going to send us to go. That he puts that responsibility in the jars of clay to speak the name of Christ and to tell people about him. Now that's, that's amazing. But that is our role. That is our purpose. That's why we are here. And we, it's, the, the more we realize that we are vessels of mercy because of nothing that we have done, and the more we start to realize that, that we are all the same clay, we were all formed in the same way, we get better at that. Because it's not about us. It's not about how glorious we are. It's about the mercy that we have in us. The mercy that we have because of nothing but Jesus. And the less it's about us, the more it's about Jesus, we can give them nothing but Jesus. We don't give them the law. We don't give them the call to, to go up to the heavens or, or go down to the abyss. We just give them Jesus and mercy and grace. Now, I have to talk about verses 16 through 21. Verses 16 through 21, um, this is the recognition. We give this gospel to everyone because you don't know who's elect. I don't know who's elect. No one knows who is elect, so we give it to everyone, knowing that some people are not going to hear it. Verse 16, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for the voice has gone out into all the earth and their words to the end of the world. Israel heard. Israel heard about Christ. They heard the gospel, but they didn't believe. Verse 19, but I ask, did Israel not understand First Moses said, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I've shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I've held up my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. All right, so we give the gospel to everyone because some people, some people look like they have Jesus. Some people look like they're pursuing God. And they're not going to get it. And if we only give the gospel to them, people might not come to faith. But we give the gospel who, are, who would never seem to want it. 
the people who are not seeking, who don't care, who show no interest in Christ. Because it's not how righteous you are or how zealously you're pursuing the gospel. It's whether or not they are elect. And some people, some people are children and they will hear the name of Jesus and they will hear their father calling. That the sheep know the voice of their shepherd. And so we are looking for those people who, who are the sheep and will hear the name of Jesus in turn. We don't know who they are. We don't know. We can't anticipate that. And so we give it to them. We abundantly give out the name of Jesus. Now this, this, this cannot be a guilt thing. This cannot be. And that's where... That's where it's all about the, the beautiful feet. That we give this because we want to have, be the beautiful messengers of Jesus. That there's a beauty when we bring, this to Christ, bring people to Christ. And honestly, we can, we can fall out of love with Jesus. And we forget how great he is. We can forget how great the salvation is. We can be bored with Jesus. But when we tell someone who's never heard it, that there is free grace and free salvation, that they are loved eternally by God, that he, he died on the cross for them. And you see their eyes light up and you see them get that that's all it really takes. That's when we start to see the love of Christ again. That we fall back in love with our first love. That we see the beauty of the gospel. And that we have this great joy of being the vessels of mercy. Now, my, my desperate hope is that that is a beautiful thing to you and that that is an exciting thing and that that is a great joy that we get to bring life to people, that election is not complete until we bring the name of Jesus to people and they confess the name of Jesus, that we are integral in the plan of God. All right. Can we get excited about that? Yes, we can get excited about that. All right, let's, let's, let's go out in faith that God is, wants to save people. Because he does. He wants to see people come to faith. He wants to see people hear the name of Jesus and rejoice. That the heavens may rejoice. That this church may rejoice. That you may rejoice. That God is a God of mercy in Christ. And that he's a savior. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you that you are the elector. We thank you that, that the power of salvation is not in our hands, but it is in yours. And we ask that we would be responsible for what we are responsible. Father, would you... Would you help us to, to respond to your call? We cry out to you for salvation. That day by day we cry out for the salvation that we need desperately. Father, I ask that you would free us from works. You'd free us from trying to justify ourselves, but that we'd, we'd rest solely upon the, the work of Jesus Christ. Father, would you bring people to salvation? Would many come to call upon your name? 
Father, save the people. Have mercy on them. And Father, would we have the delight of seeing your saving work? We pray this in Jesus Christ's precious name.